The following Dharma talk was given by Jody Hojin Kimmel at the Zen Center of New York City. Hojin Sensei is the abbot of the Zen Center and head priest at Zen Mountain Monastery. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org slash zcnyc. Thanks for listening. Good afternoon. This is by a poet named Hajin. I was going to do it later, but I decided I'll start with it. It's called a center. You must hold your quiet center. Where do you want where you do what only you can do? If others call you a maniac or a fool, just let them wag their tongues. In, if some praise your perseverance, don't feel too happy about it. Only solitude is a lasting friend. You must hold your distant center. Don't move even if earth and heaven quake. If others think you are insignificant, that's because you haven't held on long enough. As long as you stay put year after year, eventually you'll find a world beginning to revolve around you. So I think as we practice, we see how much strength is needed and, and training of the mind is needed so it doesn't go off the rails. <laughs> and this becomes more natural as we practice. Um, Zazen practice is a skill that we can develop. Um, I'm not biased, of course. Am I? <laughs> um, but it, could, it can bring the mind to the end of suffering. Just sitting quiet, holding our quiet center, dropping down. And it's something that no other skill can actually do. At least I haven't found that. And how fortunate we are to have it in our lives that we can sit down with ourselves. And it's also probably the most subtle and demanding skill that we've had to develop. It requires all our mental qualities that are ordinarily used in mastering any physical skill that we may engage. Mindfulness, alertness, persistence, as he says, perseverance, patience, discipline, ingenuity, creativity, but to a extraordinary degree, <laughs> This is why when we come to Zazen, it's good to reflect on any skills that we have in arts, in other disciplines, in body training, that we've already worked, most of us, in some way, in some depth. If you think about what you've developed in your life, some people are gardeners and have skills with plants. 
They know how to read plants. Some have skills with animals, highly developed. So we've worked in death, and we can apply what that has taught us to our training, our training our mind. We know that. We know what it takes. Something we have practiced regularly and have some strength in. Um, For me, it was throwing a pot, learning the potter's wheel. I didn't realize it till many years in training how much that um, skill of centering, of, of wedging, helped me learn how to practice. I already had something in me <clears throat> of training, of doing something repeatedly and working through the complications of my mind, which a skill allows us to do. And so the Buddha, when he was using intimate language, one of the ways he communicated was through analogy to help illustrate a point. So I will use art practice to illustrate a point and training the mind, how we breathe into our expression, which is the art of living. So... Zazen was more like learning to throw a pot than I realized on the wheel. And Buddha noticed these parallels to building our body, learning archery. Um, He said, a pot filled to the brim is like a mind filled with opinions. I remember I... My, um, I had a, a formal apprenticeship, and I used, you probably heard this a million times, some of you, but I used to have to throw 100 pots before breakfast. And one time, my um, teacher said to me, Toshiko, she says, your pots are so noisy. And I was like, noisy? Like, what, what is she saying? Like, what is she hearing? And she says, you just don't know what you want them to be. Like, do you want the lip to go in or out? Do you want the foot to be raised or inward? And and she she said, do you want your finger marks to show or not? And I realized I was trying everything on every pot. So she was like, they're noisy. And and I was like, oh, okay, I see. So it helped me kind of say, what do I want? How do I want this to be? And just kind of simplify When the Buddha spoke about um, practice as a path, he spoke of five strengths. He said, conviction, persistence, mindfulness, concentration, and discernment. He he said, the agility of a... And when I say Buddha said, I don't really know that. It's just I'm getting that from the, the canon where it said the Buddha said, but... I really don't know what the Buddha said, but the Buddha said. Uh, well, the agil- someone said. It's attributed to the Buddha. The agility of a well-trained mind is like that of a strong person who can easily flex their arm when it's extended or extend it when it's flexed. 
He often compared the higher skills of concentration and discernment to the skills of an archer and archery, where the bows were massive. So the for the noble warriors to pull back a bow, they had to have a lot of strength and the ability to shoot great distances, to fire arrows in rapid succession, and to pierce great masses. And so we need a lot of strength um, to pierce the great mass of ignorance before us that envelops an untrained mind. And in the arts, uncovering the simplicity of mind requires a commitment to a discipline. So we can reveal how complicated it is without perpetuating the thoughts, the, the confusion, without perpetuating it. We can just see it. And it helps us to reveal the intelligence that's present, the warmth, the relaxation. And as a student of any art, we may begin to play an instrument, sing, write, paint, for many different reasons. And ultimately, when you enter the discipline, you have to work with the stuff of mind and its confusion. And in the process, the mind starts to be tamed and prepares the ground out of which a fresh, unfamiliar expression is born. In my, when I took clay in college, we started the first day of class wedging. Does anybody know pottery? Okay, so you know you have to wedge because you have to get the clay in alignment in a certain shape so you can unravel it on the wheel without any bubbles and bumps and that you're learning how to align all the molecules of the clay in a particular way. It's not bread, so you're not kneading but it's either like on a, on a cone shape or there's one that's called a, a, bull, a bull's face. Because why? Because when you wedge like this, you end up with, looks like a bull. <laughs> it's a big wide nose and like two horns. And so you have to learn how to wrap the clay in that way. And traditionally, an apprentice could spend over a year just wedging for, the, for their teacher or cleaning the studio. <laughs> you don't even get to the wheel when you want to be a potter. And so um, that will determine if the pot can even be opened, you know, with that wedging. And if, so we all were at the wedging table, and of course it's the first days, and everyone's like, hee, 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 hee. And we're all having fun and bumping around. It's not easy to wedge. Yeah, and you think so, because he makes, you know, teacher makes everything look like so simple. And then you try it and you're, you're suddenly you're dealing with all your clumsiness and your awkwardness. And so he, 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 he changed to sort of boredom. I'm not going to come today because all we're doing is wedging. 
and people started dropping like flies. And I thought, wow, this, this is brilliant. Like, like, everyone's like waiting like for these pots because that's why we're there, right? We're going to be potters. And so you have to deal with all of this, right? This, it doesn't take years to learn how to wedge. It's one of the, it's a, it's a basic technique and it can be actually mastered in a few days or weeks. But we get, we get to see what a complicated person we are. So the teacher held us to that. I thought maybe he was a Zen master later. Because <laughs> then in your mind, you're like, my beautiful set of dishes is coming. All the, you know, it's like all the compliments. Wow, you made that. I think of the, um, the slogan, don't expect applause, you know, like we do something, like wait for like applause is coming very shortly. <laughs> but no, we just kept wedging away. And so we just bumped into that fantasy world. And that happens sometimes when we come to our training. I'm going to meditate, realize myself. And then we see like, oh, <laughs> this is going to take something. Um, you know, you don't just, we got to wedge. We got to sit down. We got to keep kneading and aligning and wrapping. And so we can open, keep opening and keep opening and be functional. You know, grain strength. Do you ever try and throw a pot that's not centered? You can't. It just whew, flies off the wheel. Because you got to be in center of gravity, like your zazen, centering with gravity. Otherwise, you just rip it off. For years, I just made sculptures of ripped-off pots. This is as far as I got. So I thought, let me use my, my pieces, my fragments. So it comes extremely helpful in highlighting the basic confusion of mind. That's why we practice the breath and sp- spend so much time on the, on the fundamentals building the five strengths of conviction, which is a right view, persistence, mindfulness, concentration, and discernment. It's said that teachers only transmit complications, entangling vines. That's what, you know, we do when we go in. After a while, it's just teacher will poke around a little bit and see if anything's burning (laughs) or they pull something and see if it falls and then raise it up again. So this mismatch of what's actually happening and our imagination is, is often what we meet in our practice. And sometimes that's what's obscuring and creating a problem And we find it right in the beginning of zazen and throughout practice in its various forms. So we develop more strength of mind, more touching the earth or the ground of our being. 
So to strengthen our practice muscles, we need to know how they move, how it moves. Understand the practices. As a student, we need to not only put ourselves on the cushion, but there is some reading of the early teachings of the Buddha that are helpful, that we need to learn. So we can, we can do it more efficiently. We have to know if you're building muscle um, or t- training people with their body, you have to know something about anatomy after a while so you can show how to develop certain areas. So that's why we need different aspects of teaching to develop our strength, understanding the mind's suffering, to re-undo suffering, understand the mind's true happiness, to promote it. The Buddha explained how ignorance shapes the way we breathe and how, in turn, can add to our suffering. This is why most of Zazen starts with the breath and why the Buddha's own regimen takes the breath all the way to nirvana, to release. So the Anapasanati Sutra, which I spoke of before, the Buddha just works with the breath and takes it all the way to our, our freedom. I am breathing in a short breath. I know I am breathing. That's where it starts. I am breathing in. I am breathing out. I am breathing a short breath. I am breathing out a short breath. Right? Just to get us connected with our breath. And we start where we are. Many of us might feel discouraged in the beginning of practice that our mind just won't settle down. And just as we can't wait until we know how to center a pot, we have to grapple with quieting down, learning how to let go, bringing ourselves back, developing that concentration. In pottery, we say it's learning how to apply the right pressures in the right places at the right time. So it's uh, like sending and taking. It's a give and take as you're working on this revolving wheel. The right pressures in the right places at the right time. And you just, and some students would ask me, is it centered? Is this centered? And I would say, is it? Like, you have to know for yourself. I can't, I can see it. I can see, but they, if they have to ask, then they, they haven't felt it yet. They haven't felt it. So we keep at it. And so we use whatever concentration we have and deepen it and make it more steady. And that we're not here to compete with anyone. Everyone's sitting still. So how many of us had said, oh, everyone else is so (laughs) quiet and doing it. So not to compete with anyone or not to live up to an ideal of being a perfect practitioner, whatever that would look like. But just work on yourself so you can work with others. 
be in the samsaric, confused world that we're in with less confusion. So we speak of the world of samsara. Samsara is a state of lostness, spinning, where we keep turning back to the causes of our suffering. That's what we keep spinning on. We keep turning back to that in the midst of conflict. So we establish a practice, a root practice, and keep it strong. Establish a regular practice, knowing that we're in this for the long haul. We like all those stories about sudden enlightenment, getting your foot caught in the door and, you know. But there were so many years before that foot got hit (laughs) that this person was like working with themselves. And in that moment, it was a right, it was the right pressure in the right place at the right time. And we get those. We have to hang out. So we, we, that happens. We can't plan any of this. But we just prime. We keep steady. We keep, we keep our discipline day to day. There's a readiness, a ripeness. Consistency, the Buddha said, of our discipline. And that's hard for many of us to observe, so we can observe the subtle changes. And then we don't worry about shortcuts, something quick and easy. And the mind grows steady and strong by overcoming this resistance to repetition that I spoke of. Another period, another period, same thing. And we, we, we then start to appreciate that's how our, this zazen muscle gains strength. Oh, we get another period of zazen. <laughs> we get more strength, more patience, more resilience to develop. And that will help us with the larger difficulties when we hit old age and we don't like it, sickness, death. Aim for balance. They call the muscle groups on the path virtues, concentration, and discernment, the three muscle groups. And if any one of those gets overdeveloped at the expense of the other, it can throw us out of alignment. And our extra strength can turn into a liability. So you don't want to overdevelop something, a certain muscle, because then you start walking like this. (laughs) I just saw a routine with Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton would turn and his leg would all of a sudden disappear. And then he'd like pull it out. And it was so great. Like it was just this one leg and he would make it so limp. Then he'd step and he'd drop down and then he'd go, ooh, ooh, ooh. And the foot would come out and then he'd step on it and it would straighten up and then he'd take two steps. <laughs> so he was developing it through like his whole routine. 
So we can't fix a deadline for our enlightenment, but we can keep aiming a little more for a little more sitting, for a little more walking, a little more consistency to our mindfulness, a little more speed in recovering from distraction, a little more understanding of what we're doing, study in various ways to understand how to relieve and undo suffering. I was talking to someone about having, how in, in the practice it says, have no goals. And sometimes we have to, when things are said like that, don't have any goals. We have to understand, we have to take that in and kind of work with it a bit. Because sometimes it's for those who are very neurotic about having goals in general. Whenever we do something, we're like, where's this going to go? Where's this going to get me? So it helps with that. Don't have a goal. And we're, you know, take the little bit of the neurosis off. If we find ourselves a kind of weekend warrior practitioner, we haven't practiced, and then we come to a Zazenkai, and we need to be cautioned not to push ourselves past the breaking point because we want to make up for lost time. So some people will make themselves sit cross-legged when they should really sit in a bench or a chair. So we can't keep that goal, a fixed goal, of sitting a particular way. We have to have some results in a way to see what we're doing. And you can see that, like, is your practice working? How do you know if practice works? How do you know that? What do you see? Are there things that you're able to deal with differently than before you started? Are you a little bit nicer, especially with your family? Are you able to deal with your suffering better? How do we know practice works? So we need to see some result. Or otherwise, we can lose our focus and start wondering, why Why are we sitting here today? Why don't we just like go to Coney Island and ride the Ferris wheel, walk on the beach? Which is sometimes good, good medicine. So how to have our desire for results work for us, not against us, not with expectation. And it's not so much a focus on results, but how are we in the process? You know, in the arts, that's kind of what, when people work, that's what I emphasize more is, how are you when you're drawing that line? Who are you? If you're connected, something will happen. If you're not, something will happen. But how is it as you're in the process? So we sit, as we sit, if we want the mind to develop more concentration, don't focus on the idea of concentration. I want to concentrate. Focus on allowing this breath to be more comfortable. 
then this breath, then this breath, and this one. One breath at a time. And then bring that breath to Shikantaza. Then bring that breath to Koan. Then bring that breath. When you're angry, bring that breath to the person in front of you with, a, with your calm, if you calm it. And then our concentration grows without us having to think about it. Learn to read your pain. It's not even yours, but learn to read pain. When you sit, some pains in the body are simply a sign it's adapting to your zazen posture. Sometimes it's we're pushing ourselves too hard. Sometimes there's something we need to pay attention to, not override it. Some pains are telling the truth. Some pains are lying. We have to learn how to take the diff- tell the difference and take care. That's not easy. At least it hasn't been for me. Same applies to the mind. When the mind can't settle down, sometimes it needs to be pushed harder. Sometimes we need to pull back. Exercising our powers of wisdom and discernment. Learn to read what is working. So zazen becomes our own skill. That we know how to work We're skillful. This is the pot. We're learning our own skill. We're learning to examine by our direct experience, our intimate language with ourself, what works and what doesn't. And to be exhaustive in a way. To not prejudge things before they've had a chance to show something to us. Because otherwise we can be jumping around like a frog, like a cricket, like a grasshopper. One time we try it, did it's like doesn't work, and we boink, switch, boink, switch, because we're uncomfortable. We're distracted. No, I have to stay there for a bit. S- apply what wisdom teachings have offered us for centuries, <laughs> centuries. I mean, this stuff we're learning. Like, how many people have, like, done the same thing and said, like, keep doing this. Keep trying this. It, it does something. And the Buddha taught other practices. We need other practices sometimes to deal with specific things that were problems, if you want to call it, that arise. If we're angry, fearful, self-attacking. Maybe we need a practice of metta, more loving-kindness in our mind when we're feeling down on ourselves and the human race. What kind of practice do we need to help? Sometimes there's contemplation of the body parts when we feel overcome with lust. I mean, Try to maintain a sexual fantasy when you're looking at what's under your skin. It's hard. That was taught for a reason. I used to contemplate death when I was lazy. I thought, I'm 
I'm tipping, right? And I used to think, okay. And I used to contemplate my death. And I'd be like, whoop, right up. We don't know how much time we have left. I was, I was thinking of my brother monk, Yukon. One moment he was speaking fine, and the next moment he couldn't talk. Within a week, he was a different person. He didn't know. And when there, when we sometimes do that in our sitting, when we need a supplementary kind of practice for a moment, some loving kindness, some metta, when those contemplations have done their work, we can then return to our breath or open awareness, open awareing, refreshed, renewed, begin again. In this way, the this, this skill becomes all around, all inclusive. We can take our ups and downs and stride. And the rhythms of the mind are much more complex than the body, I think. Ups and downs are part of our life. It's just par for a course, if you will. But just make sure that you're not knocked off balance. When the mind, when things are going well, you notice sometimes the mind can be still without any effort on our part. So don't get careless. Overly confident. And when our mood is bad or in a bad mood, sometimes we have to do other practices. View it as an opportunity to learn how to be patient and observant of bad moods. Wow. Just be curious. Friggin' bad mood. What is it? A bad mood. Like, what is it when you try and really get to it? Like, where is the bad mood? What's, what is it? So, like, that lightens our burden a little bit. Like, damn, bad mood. <laughs> so thick and hairy. Either way, we learn how to keep our inner aware, aware separate from what else is going on and do our best to remain steady regardless of how we emerge. We can practice how food comes to us, how our food comes to us. Orioki teaches us just the right amount. Don't take more of the world from the world than you're willing to give back. Don't bulk up just for the fun of it. Because the beings and the animals who provide the food, don't provide it in fun. Make sure the energy gets put to good use. We should know how it comes to us. We should consider whether our virtue and practice deserve it. Not like I'm not going to eat, but just consider. keeping the mind in a position where you can easily think of the right thing to say, the right thing to do, 
when our surroundings get tough. So that's the strength we need. Because we don't always do that. So we have to keep developing that strength. So when situations come, we can do that. We can try and do the right thing, do the best that we can. At least, at least take it, do our best. And when we help ourselves maintain our inner balance, we help people maintain their balance. You ever notice that? I remember um, being on a subway, and I, I was having a panic attack, which I never had, but I was, it was a time in my life where I was dealing with a lot of panic, and I didn't know it was the Super Bowl. <laughs> and I went somewhere, and of course, I was like, man, the city's so quiet today. And then when I came back, the Super Bowl was over, and I was smushed in a subway. I mean, smushed. This was pre-COVID. And I was already in a mood, which I knew of. And everyone kept going in and in and in. And I was just in all these people. And I was like, I was starting to feel like this sweat and my blood just draining out. And suddenly I hear a voice, are you okay? And I'm like, oh, who was that? And I see this girl looking at me. And she says, are you okay? And I was like, and she goes, stay with me. I'm with you. Just stay with me. Just breathe. Just breathe. Just breathe. And, and her balance, her steadiness saved me in that moment. Like she brought me through. I was going to pass out for sure. Um, and she's like, I got you. It's okay. And then suddenly I wasn't squished. Like everything sort of opened up a bit for just a moment. Her mind was in a position where she could easily th- see and think and do something and say something. So we strengthen that ability in ourselves to be that for ourselves. Then we can be that for others. And we will make mistakes. But that we can establish that as a priority in our practice and practice generosity of time and give that more energy in us. And of course, Zazen really helps with that. Make the whole world your meditation seat. And you will feel Zazen mind get a lot stronger And at the same time, it's both a gift to yourself and the world around you. Eventually, you will find a world beginning to revolve around you because you are the world. That's the news. It's you, the whole thing, how we perceive. And the mind strength is what continues to grow through the experience of death, and on. The Buddha promises that it leads to the deathless, and he wasn't a person to make vain, empty promises. You must hold your quiet center 
where you do what only you can do. Hold your quiet center where you can do what only you can do. Develop that strength. Thank you for listening. To find out more about the Zen Center of New York City's programs, retreats and residency, please visit our website at zmm.org slash zcnyc.